farmers. I've been following it for quite a few months now and um, this legend has come to my attention and I thought it'd be great to have it on. So tonight we're talking about farming and straight after this show the Kerno connection will follow with myself and Malika Scott. But um, let's bring on Mark Byford, uh, No Farmers No Food and he's also known as the Bowler Hat Farmer. <laughs> good evening Mark. Shelley, good evening darling. How are you doing? Oh, I'm living the dream, Shelley. Good, good to hear it. Always. The bowler hats, <laughs> the bowler hats with me. Yeah, it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> that, so, that was that was my great granddad's. Oh, was it? Was he a farmer as well? <laughs> he was. Oh wow, right. So so you've got quite a story to tell, really, and where it's all going. Give it give us an introduction, Mark, about you know how you got into this, a bit about your life. Just okay, um, a little bit. so I um, come from a farming family background, decided at 11 years old that I was a big boy and really got to go and get a job because my dad told me that he would match any pocket money what I earned. He wasn't going to give me any. Um, so I went to the pig farm, which was kind of the next house along and said to the farmer, I need a job. And I started on the farm at 11 mucking out the pigs and absolutely just loved farming. Didn't want to go to school. I didn't fit into that box at all. I just wanted to play about on the farm, get on a tractor, you know, being with the animals and and enjoy life and soon come to realise that me and school didn't fit on. I did my college and, you know, got my piece of paper, which was all important in life. And um, no one's ever asked for it since, funnily enough. But, <laughs> but it took me two years to get it, so I ought to keep it. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of me. I From that went into working on the market stall. From that, I went to set up a market garden. I've run market stalls myself. I've been in and around the kind of food and the farming side ever since I left school. Um, we've I now work full-time for a fruit and veg wholesale company just picked out in, in East Anglia. I have... A small farm of my own. I've got a 16 acre site and a nursery site, which we're just in the process of setting up on the family farm. Um, I've got a CIC, which I run in the background to assist and help people wanting to get into the food and farming industry. So it's never boring. And obviously, I do all my podcasts and things as the um, bowler hat farmer. <laughs> so stuff. plenty to yeah, do. Yeah. Plenty to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to check the stream's working on radio a minute. We've made a mistake somewhere there, but we're going live on Rumble and StreamYard. So um, somebody will message me in a moment. One week we're going to get it right. <laughs> anyway, so Mark, what's been happening? Why are we at this point now? You know, it's been going on for a few months. We're seeing tractors going out and um, all these protests and stuff. I mean, mm. it's been going on throughout Europe and it's now coming to the UK. So what is this all about for all these... Uh, newbies out there that are questioning what's going okay on. um this back dates somewhat if i tell you the story back as far as i know um at 21 years old i'm 56 now shelly at 21 i was approached by a friend of mine who this is before the internet days really who was very very awake he did leaflet dropping door to door and he came one round one day and he used to drop leaflets for me for my um, veg business and he came around and he said, I need to talk to you about something called the 2030 Agenda. I'd never heard of it. A year went past and he kept talking to me about it and I kind of dismissed it. And then he gave me a copy of it and said, read that. 
and that kind of shocked me because I'd got four young children at the time and looked into the, the, the depth of it. And Shelley, I've got to be honest, I couldn't get my head around it because I thought to myself, well, all this is okay, but farmers are still farmers. They're still going to want to grow food and breed animals. So this is kind of irrelevant until you get to 2024 20, and you start to see how they've put it all into place and how the governments are being manipulated by the WEF to push down these bullshit rules that just do not suit anybody from the general public of the farmers. The only person this suits is perhaps Bill Gates selling more bugs or, you know, or whatever that might look like from, um, you know, vertical farming to anything which doesn't consist of real goodness in it. Um, so I looked into it and the more I looked into it and the deeper I got down the rabbit hole, the more it became apparent that we were heading towards this um, cliff face that we were just going over and we were going to get kicked on the way past because there was nothing to stop it. So it was quite obvious that at some point there would have to be a kickback against it. And obviously 2020 came, I was running a farm shop at the time on, on our um, small farm. And we had a situation where we were selling a hundred pounds worth of vegetables a day and then 10 vegetable boxes each week. And then within three days, we were selling 15,000 pound a day and 400 boxes a day. So everybody realized there was this massive food shortage. I personally think that was just a trial to see what happened. I think that was a trial to see, one, how um, people like ourselves could react to that, and two, to see how the supply chain for us stood up. What's happened in the past four years that I've seen is the produce, what was coming in from places like Holland, Spain, Italy, France, let's say, what was quite happily during the pandemic coming through the borders isn't now quite happily coming through the borders. So what we're going to see this time round is a massive food shortage. Now, up to 18 months ago, I, I, I think the stats on this are correct. We were growing 60% of the food which we need in the UK. And that now sits at 49%. Just that 18-month window has shut that down that much. And Shelley, I've been out the last week I've spoke to a farmer who's a beef farmer, cattle farmer down in Ipswich, down in Suffolk. I've spoken to one in Norfolk. I've spoken to one and interviewed one in Derbyshire this week. And they've all got the same issue. So if they pay, let's say, five to eight pound an acre per month for grazing for the animals, which is kind of a standard, the landowners who they rent their land off are now being offered £25 an acre per month <laughs> to not grow anything. So they're chucking all the tenant farmers off the land to claim the subsidies or worse than ever to put bloody green electric electricity initiatives in place. Um, solar panels and wind turbines and, and things that just serve us no purpose. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I've never tried eating a solar panel. Um, I've never tried. <laughs> I've never tried eating a, a pretty field full of flowers or nice big trees. But 
my kind of understanding of it is we, you know, we need fruit and vegetables and meat and, um, and without those, sorry. Sorry, I don't know if you could hear that. Somebody, we're just sorting out the stream as you're talking. No, no. Um, it's okay, right? Everybody should hear us now. We're on, and um, for those of you, apologies that um, on Speak Free Radio, um, I've got Mark Byford with us. Um, no farmers, no food. He's telling us a bit of his story, and um, I feel sorry I've interrupted you full flow there, Mark. But we're live on the on the radio now anyway. But we'll carry on. So. Um, Sorry, Mark. No, no problem. So in the background, we've had all this going on um, about the, so the farmers, are being, the, the, the land owners are being paid up to £25 an acre not to grow food. So they're telling all the tenant farmers to get off because they can earn more as a result of growing pretty flowers or, you know, just total nonsense. So a lot of the farmers have, really three big challenges to play one net zero and the absolute tosh around that so from my understanding when i went to school because we actually did proper lessons when i was at school carbon in the atmosphere gets swallowed up by the green things on the planet let's say grass yeah cows eat the grass getting rid of the carbon they turn that into protein and fat we eat the cow consuming the carbon and the carbon is gone now i don't know what most people think the carbon levels in the atmosphere are i i spoke to a friend today who's um very much concerned about net zero and it's a terrible situation the cow's farting is just you know killing the planet and <laughs> And I said, can you tell me what the level of carbon is in the atmosphere? Uh, he said, it's got to be about 10%. I said, well, that's interesting. I said, two things are interesting in that. The actual amount of carbon in the atmosphere is 0.04%. It's a tiny, tiny percentage. Carbon is the food of life for plants. If plants don't have carbon... We simply have no oxygen. Um, and I don't know about you, but I can't hold my breath for very long. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't really fancy that much. Now, the challenge is, and this is the bit where I struggle, Shelley, because I'm a tomato grower. So I grow polytunnels full of tomatoes in the summer. And we close the polytunnels up and undo canisters of carbon dioxide um, <laughs> in there to force the carbon up to 20% in there because it opens up all the little follicles on the tomato plants. They suck it up. They use less water and they grow really big. They so thrive. The the better. Yeah. Yeah. Now we force that up to 20% in the polytunnels and we work in there. It doesn't kill anybody. <laughs> so when they tell us we've got to reduce carbon, I genuinely don't see that as, a, as an issue. And there's another myth around this that when temperature rises, carbon dioxide goes up in the atmosphere. Um, that's the other way around. If carbon dioxide goes up in the atmosphere, the temperature rises. So it's completely they've they've spun all the science on this to get basic minded people thinking that the government must be right because we know they'd never lie to us. Never, never, never. Um, <laughs> so it's it's interesting when you look at all this. So. So net zero is a policy 
and everything around net zero, which means we've got to have less animals, less agricultural land. We've got to set more trees on agricultural land. We need less um, coal or nuclear power um, stations, and we need more windmills and, um, you know, more solar panels. And as a result of that, we use more and more land up. So there's less and less for growing food. I can't think that, help but think that if we really wanted solar panels, we'd put them on every building. And that would make a lot of sense. And I could understand that. But taking up the thousands upon thousands of acres of land we have across the country to, um, to put these in is just mind-blowing. So the net zero is one thing. We also have the cost of running the farms has gone up because of obviously um, diesel's gone up. At the start of the pandemic, we were paying 20 pence a litre for red diesel. That's now almost a pound now. Um, so that's gone up five times for running the um, vehicle, you know, like the trackers and things. We've got the electricity costs for running, whether it's the grain store, uh, for running the fans in there, the heaters in there to dry grain out whether that's the chicken houses to um, keep them warm, whether that's fans to keep them cool, whether that's milk milk equipment in the dairies, whatever it might be, all the farmers use loads of electricity and that's gone through the roof. So the cost of running the farms has escalated out of control. And this brings us on to the next section, which is the supermarkets. And the supermarkets not paying enough for the, um, for the vegetables or the produce. And that, a lot of that has come about, Shelley, because... What's happened is the farmers took on the contracts when the cost of running the farm was down here. Right. Now the cost of running the farm is up here and the supermarkets still only want to pay here. It doesn't stack up and the supermarkets will not back down from the price they're paying and they will not pay the farmers any more money. So I spoke to a friend the other day down in Wales. He's a, a dairy farmer and he's been paid 32p a litre for milk okay cost of production just under 40 pence so every time the truck goes up the drive with thousands of liters of milk on he's losing money every day seven days a week with no way out of the contract supermarkets are not prepared to give the public have a perception that the subsidies farmers got was to buy pretty tractors and nice range rovers and all of that the subsidies were there to drive the price of food down. So when you got it in the supermarket, the price was reduced. So what's happened is now the farmers are losing money. The subsidies have stopped. And now there's, there's no help. So the price of food's got to go up without any doubt at all. So a lot, I think that what will happen is a lot of farms will just have to pull out of the contracts. Otherwise, they'll bankrupt themselves and lose the farms. Um, and we're going to have to see price rises on food. And I know the prices have gone up in the shops for food over the past three, four years, considerably. Probably in the last four years, food's gone up 50%, let's say. But that hasn't been passed on to the farmers. So that's why the farmers are kicking up at the supermarkets saying they're not being found. And it isn't just the supermarkets, Shelley. It's the, the packers, the producers, as well as the supermarkets. Now, the packers, packers and producers are generally owned by the supermarkets, so it's the same culprit all the time that's causing the issue. So that's another big part of this, is 
that kind of cost of living for the farmers and the um, the value of what um, the supermarkets are not paying against what the contracts need to pay out. The last one, which is my biggest bugbear of all, is the bureaucracy involved. We have a situation across, not so much in the UK, I have to say, but in Wales at the moment, one of the big issues they've got is TB and how TB testing is done. So I don't know if everybody knows this, but on our farm, we have badgers and badgers allegedly carry TB. So we've been looking at putting cattle back onto the farm because it's something that my uncle who's got the farm hasn't done for a long time. So we've been looking at putting that back on the farm so that we could have some meat ourselves should it become hard to get. The challenge is that badgers sometimes, and I say sometimes, carry TB. So what you can do is get your badgers tested to see if they've got TB or no TB. If they've got no TB, you're best off leaving them on the farm because they will then deal with other badgers trying to encroach on their territory. So if another badger comes in with TB, potentially, you haven't got to worry about that because your own badgers will deal with it. So that's a big issue because how the TB testing's done, in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, it's very much like testing for bird flu. It's very much like testing for COVID. If you want to get the result what says this animal is sick, you can get the result saying this animal's sick. So thousands upon thousands of perfectly healthy cattle are being destroyed as a direct result of TB testing. It's a complete bloody farce. Like the COVID <coughs> test, like you say, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. So, and, you know, I'm, I'm new to all of this and I've been talking to a, a resident, a nursing home that I work in. And, um, you know, we've been talking about raw milk and stuff like that today. And he was explaining to me that the only reason that they really pasteurise the milk now is because of TB. Well, they, they actually pasteurise milk for one reason, because if you have a, if you have raw milk, it's good for you. Well, this is what I was trying to say, yeah, and there are farmers down it because I want to start getting it. But I mean, he's um he's very elderly, and he said both of them. Are, he said, "Look at me, I'm fine," and he said, "I was I was brought up on raw milk, basically." Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But their but their excuse is that we pasteurise it so that like no TB gets into it. And stuff. Well, it, it, so, I think it was originally done so it had a longer shelf life. I mean, right. you know, my my first memories of me as a as a child was my grandfather used to keep cows. And I used to sit under the cow and milk it and drink it while I was there. Um, I didn't Can die. What's the difference? Oh, just mwah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's like having a really good bottle of wine against, you know, some sparkly water. <laughs> right. And interestingly, actually, the, the price I saw in an article earlier that like milk in Tesco's at the moment, what whole milk is £1.6p a litre. Yeah. And a bottle of Evian water is £1.15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just mental. Like, well, you know what Evian spells backwards, don't you? I'm trying to work it out now. <laughs> Naive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's probably not any special water. It's probably just come from tap anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, well, it's what it is, isn't it? It's just another one of those nonsensical things which we've been led to believe we need to do. Um you know, let's all drink bottled water and create more bloody plastic on the planet. 
Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I look at a lot of these green issues, Shelley, which they're dealing with, and you kind of think to yourself, a lot of this is so could you know if they really wanted to make a difference to the planet they could really easily but you know it's it's always the wrong things they're doing anyway i digress so paperwork is an issue so the whole of the um everything to do with defra or the environment agency is a nightmare they have got to the point they've become so bureaucratic and so top heavy with paperwork it is just unbelievable. I, I always remember as I was about six or seven and my grandfather took me to the cattle market in our town in Bury St. Edmunds where we live. And he bought two calves, chucked them on the back seat of the car. We drove them home. Um, now you need about 200 pieces of paperwork and a special lorry. Um, and it's just got so out of control. All right. I'm not saying that was right, but Somewhere in between that being wrong and that being right, you know, there is a world of difference now. Um, the paperwork to take an animal to slaughter has just got crazy. So I think, you know, every aspect of the um, of DEFRA, the Environment Agency and local planning departments as well, they all need a real good, in my opinion, a cullback. They've... Um, there's been so much money. I, I think this is what the problem is. There's had so much money over the last five years pumped in to keep the economy going to not admit how bad things are. They've given that money to governmental departments who have just spent it on getting more idiots in to do the job for the boys. Um, so we've just ended up with so much bureaucracy. It's just burying everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's mental. <laughs> It's mental. Um, and I know it's, it's a real passionate subject at the moment, and especially with the young farmers. I mean, lots of stuff that I'm seeing on TikTok and stuff. I, I can't believe really how many young farmers there are. Yeah. And it's got to be quite frightening. And um, Hank Wimpy is in the room and he would like to talk about the decline of milkmen for a few minutes. You're right with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. On board. Hank, if you're listening, um, we'll bring you in, my lovely. Um nice to get a guest <laughs> well not a guest you know what i mean i think people feel really passionate about these and um well this topic obviously is he here are you here hank hello hello Good how evening. are you doing where, where are you from <clears throat> hank? hello there from where sorry hello hello could you hear me hello yeah i can hear where are you from hank i'm i'm from uh lincolnshire in the uk all oh, right. Okay. Great stuff. Yeah. What is it you wanted to talk about, my lovely? Uh, I want to talk about the decline of milkmen. Right. Go for it. <clears throat> so basically, like years and years ago, in Lincolnshire, in the UK, we used to have a lot of milkmen, and now we don't because of the decline, and like the sort of supermarkets, basically, and the rise of corner shops. Uh, milkmen have been put out of business. There's no longer any milkman about, apart from this business called the Modern Milkman. You can't get the traditional milkman. It's cut a lot of jobs out uh, as the milkman was supplied by the local farms and it's just generally ruined the farming economy in Lincolnshire. Hi, Hank. Hi. I, I think one of the things which has um, unfortunately happened, especially across Lincolnshire, some of the farms up there have got now have got so big and they're very much monoculture, so they only have they only kind of grow one thing. 
they don't have mixed farms anymore, which used to, you know, the one farmer had got, let's say, 50 cows and they produced five or 600 bottles of milk a day that would be sent to a local guy who would distribute it. And unfortunately, now that a lot of the big farms have got so big and they only grow wheat or grow cabbages, whatever that might be. Um, it's interesting you say that because I had a conversation the other day. It's a company called Freshways. Um, right, which, yeah. yeah, you know, Freshways, they're quite yeah, a big, I've heard of them. Yeah, they're, they're one, of, one of the biggest independent dairies across the UK now. And they've just um, bought out Milk or More. I don't know if you know of them. They're the, the guys. <coughs> oh, yeah, across East Anglia, we have Milk or More still come to the houses. Um, and they've just bought them out. And I asked the question, why would you be buying them out if you, you know, if it's a decline in, um, you know, so on the dairy side, if, you know, if doorstep deliveries is declining. And they actually think it's about to make a comeback because yeah. there's been so much demand um, across the country for glass bottles of milk and um and door-to-door deliveries again and i think there is a lot uh, to be honest hank that people are starting to kick back against the supermarkets so i'd like to see a lot more of that myself personally <laughs> yeah i agree with you i, I believe that more people are uh, wanting to go back to the traditional glass bottle rather than yeah you know the plastic ones you get because of a threat of microplastics and people just generally they don't want to see these <clears throat> sort of huge businesses such as the modern milkman, Milk or More, and all the big agribusiness in the UK. They want to return for, to the traditional milkman, get yes. the glass bottles, go back to how it was. Because uh, yeah. now, now it's gone, people are missing it. And it's just yeah, well, this one is the problem, things. isn't it? We never realise what we've got till it's gone. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. No, we don't. Um, unfortunately, the younger generation, <laughs> they wouldn't know what it is to have a milkman. I can remember like getting milk from the front door in the mornings and stuff, but my children would be like, what do you mean a milkman? Yeah. And when you went out on a cold morning, the blue tits had had the top off of Yeah, it. yeah. It had to be put in special boxes and stuff, yeah. <laughs> so are you a farmer yourself, Hank? I'm not a farmer. I'm just sort of a farm enthusiast, if you oh, right, get what okay. I mean. Yeah. I just yeah. really, I'm into farming. I'm into milk. I love anything like that. Right, okay. Are you, are you into raw milk, Hank? We were just talking about that. Well, in my time, I've had a few glasses of raw milk, and <laughs> I, I got some from a farm in North Yorkshire, and it made me ill, but the other two have been fine. Uh, I've had some Jersey raw milk, that were really nice. It's yeah, really, yeah. it's different to what you get in the supermarkets, obviously. It's yeah, really yeah. creamy. There's, it's, there's it's less not what you'd expect. Yeah, <laughs> there's less water. It's less processed. Yes. It's, it's nice to have every so often, especially warm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you need to drink it warm. The closer to the cow, the better. <laughs> you see, I know a couple of people that have said they've been ill after drinking raw milk, but then apparently that's due to it not being through the cleaning process. It, it, it actually isn't. What it it isn't. What it is is that your body isn't used to it again. So, right. you know, this it's so rich. That's the problem. It's you know, it's like you having a really good Indian, for instance, and your <laughs> your body's like, oh my god, I've got to react to this because I'm not used to something that, like that. So it's about cleansing the body out. And that's, that's, um, I can't remember the guy's name. There was a guy who did a cracking video with, um, with Richard Vobes talking about raw milk. And he was the guy in the, um, through the 70s and 80s that actually pushed to keep raw milk on, uh, you know, alive. And, um, and he, he actually talks about what it was within the body that reacts to it. Um, and it was really, really interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, all of those, I mean, uh, um, what do you call it? All your gut 
proteins and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's for like a healthy gut. And from what I got ill with, from what I've seen, it seems to be popping up quite in quite a lot of places, just like farm trucks. So we get like the raw milk sort of vending machine, if you've seen them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what some of the locals do, I've been told, a few towns up. So uh, I'm going to have to venture and try this. So uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely the way forward, raw milk. And vegetables, vegetables as well. We need to get more farmers growing vegetables again. We need, we need less maize being grown for biofuels. We need, you know, less sugar beet being grown for bloody sugar. We are uh, just all the things which we're growing at the minute is completely upside down. We need to be just concentrating on food. And you know, I foresee in the next year, eighteen months, we are going to have a huge food shortage. Cannot emphasise that enough. No, no. It's, um, like I say, Agenda 2130. It's come about very quick because I remember, like, really hearing about this, like, five or six years ago and even um, interviewing, like, Sandy Adams on the subject and stuff. And you think it's years away. It's just crept up, hasn't it? Yeah. All the things like no flying, no meat and, um, you know, what was it? By 2050, they're hoping that there'll be no meat available at yeah. all. Yeah. We'll be like helping ourselves to jellyfish on the fish counter and stuff, and uh, and apparently more fish, and that's what makes me laugh because already now, like they're um, it's hard on the oh, by um, Hank. <laughs> oh, he's gone. Um, yeah, that you know they complain about the fishing. We can't fish here because there's not enough fish and everything sure. like that. So yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So right, going back to it, and also like they're gonna be bringing in ai technology aren't they as well oh uh, i i <laughs> i passed comment the other day after our um in <laughs> industrious leader um uh, our prime minister uh did a cracking speech which he thought he was brilliant at, at the um national farmers union and he said they're going to make 70 million pound available for ai and robots on farms well, Shelley, just to give you an idea, it's about a million pounds to set up the, um, the basic robots on one farm. That's for two robots and the computer system to run it. About a million pounds. So 70 farms are going to qualify out of the 105,000 farms in, in the UK. <laughs> oh, it's just mental, mental. But the problem is that People who don't understand the maths go, oh, 70 million, that's a lot of money. Oh, well done. Conservatives did well there. It's a complete farce. You know, when you take 70 million over a country, it's <laughs> it worked out about, I think it was about £675 a farm um, from memory. So, yeah, you, you kind of just got to laugh it off, really. I mean, you don't gain anything by having um, the AI side of things. If... A robot isn't going to know if to make the decision if to plough the land or not because it's too wet. I mean, my uncle, I'm going to work for the fruit and veg wholesale side about three, half three in the morning. And as I was heading out the drive, he was going out with a truck. He was then coming in, sorry, with a tractor with a plough on the back. And I said, what have you been up to? He said, oh, there was a frost. So I thought I'd get out while the frost was on the ground and get some ploughing done. Now, a robot's not going to know it can or can't plough a field in accordance to how wet it is or how, you know, is the ground firm enough to hold the tractor or that's, that's the experience of, 
generation upon generation of people and knowledge being passed down and just oh, honestly i just think they're clueless if you want to produce um if use robots to grow in containers for instance or warehouses then i kind of get it you know um but the investment what's got to be made is just bleeding phenomenal and i just i don't see it personally stacks up i mean from my side i do not understand at all if we've got eight million people unemployed in the uk i know the statistics might tell you a lot less but the reality says it's a lot more. Um, they've moved all the school leaving age up deliberately because that meant they can falsify the figures, obviously, and people on schemes which don't apply to be unemployed. But if we've got 8 million people unemployed, surely, just surely, Shelley, we, we can find them a job. Weed in the yeah. garden, you know, weed in the fields, like instead of a robot. We're paying them anyway. We've got payment to sit at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It makes no sense. So but, where, are, where are the farmers hoping to get with this then? Do, do you think that all of this protesting, do you think it's going to get anywhere? Um, I'll tell you what I think. Um, I spoke to a friend in Germany, um, and he's an English lad, married a German farmer's daughter. So he's been living out there now for some um, years. And I said to him, Dwayne, what's the situation? Um with what's going on out there. And he said, well, he said, firstly, you have to understand that it took 18 weeks to get the tractors out. And I said, 18 weeks. He said, yeah, that was the planning behind it. So what they did was they got a 10, 12 week campaign in place to get the public on board, to get the public prepared for what was coming so that people weren't caught out when the supermarkets ran out of food. They then with military precision, took every major capital across Europe, um, followed by all the smaller towns as well. They've blocked all the motorways. Obviously, the mainstream news are not covering any of this. So we started talking, and seven of us got together originally and started talking about what that would look like in the UK. That soon got up to 70. That soon got up to... Um, the yellow board families across the UK wanting to start to get involved in protesting um, on the roundabouts and things with no farmers, no food banners. And it's snowballed from there. What we're finding now is that tractors are starting to go out. And I think that will escalate considerably uh, after today's rally in Wales. So thousands turned out today for the Welsh um, to see the Welsh Assembly. The... Welsh government tonight have, from what I can make out, and I haven't looked into the back end of this yet, but the kind of voted 30-30 um, in, um, in the election tonight, the MPs have in, um, in Wales. to So they've not said they will support the farmers. They've not said they won't support the farmers. Bottom line is, I think after today that the farmers will now take proper action that I think will spread across the UK quite quickly. I think that anybody who does not have food in at home um, want to make sure they get some in, personally. I think that, unfortunately, the government aren't listening. All right, it might be the government can't listen because the um, WEF haven't given them permission to. What I will say on that is across Europe, the 
governments are backing down hand over fist over a lot of the net zero policies. And um, definitely there is headway being made in Europe. But what I will say is, despite all the headway, what the government tells you is being made, the farmers still haven't gone home. Now, one of the things I said um, to my friend in Germany was, well, how come you're still out? Because the government's caved in on most of the things you're asking for. He said, do you believe them? I don't. Yeah. He said, and that's the problem. He said, you know, we've all had lip service before. He said, there's another point to this as well, Mark. He said, is that if we go back to the farms, we'll never get the opportunity to come back out. That will be it. This will be the last time the farmers ever get the chance. There'll be new legislation put in place that will just stop this happening. And what they've done, Shelley, to get themselves, this gives you an idea of how organised they are. So obviously farmers need to grow produce. This, this is the bottom line. The animals still need to be fed. The fields still need to be tended to. So they've got a system as by where a third of the farmers are on strike. A third of the farmers are on the farms and a third are either going to or from the protest or the farms. So they're keeping all the fields done. They're keeping all the animals fed. They're making sure that the food is available is going to small consumers um, or small retailers and um, small supermarkets, uh, farmers markets and um, farm shops, places like that. They're using all the green lanes, which are the farm tracks, to distribute that out to the public so that they're not getting involved in going on the motorways, which they've obviously got blocked off. So the people like supermarkets can't get lorries through, but they can still get a tractor and trailer through down the side of a field and, you know, still get food moved about. So they have had this planned out very well. They've had this planned out in depth. They've rolled it out. They've crippled Europe completely to its knees. And I have to say, I see that happening here. You know, Shelley, you have to understand farmers are busy people. The last thing farmers want to do is actually go on strike. They don't actually want to come out. They want to be producing food, but they've been stopped producing food because the government won't listen over initiatives that are in place um, to drive food production down. You know yourself, Shelley, you just said, said by your own admission there, if, if we're down at 49% at the minute, it's dropped 11% in the last three, two and a half, three years. Where's, where's that going to be in another two years? As we head towards 2030, we know we've been told no planes, no trains and no boats coming into the UK. No food is being shipped around the planet on the scale it was before. Lots of countries out there have got bans on food production being moved. So um, China, India, Pakistan, for instance, which are some of the biggest and especially Russia as well some of the biggest grain producers of the world that feed places like Africa. Um, Ukrainian grain used to predominantly go to Africa. So with all the hassle what's gone on in Ukraine over the past uh, couple of years, the Africans are the ones who are getting completely shafted on this. They're getting it from all angles because what they were getting disappeared. The grain what would back up that situation um, if that Ukrainian grain didn't get there isn't there now either because those countries have put bans in place to stop grain being moved so the idea is 
everybody knows what's coming. Everybody knows worldwide food shortages are coming. So governments like China, India and Russia are just stockpiling it instead of shipping it around the world. So, you know, the British haven't, or European farmers, um, not so much, but the um, European governments what have the ability, like they did in the 70s, for instance, we had milk mountains, grain mountains. That now doesn't exist. And we're now in the position that we've got the food production down. We've got nothing in storage. And they want to cut the production down by another 50% in the next two years. Well, that just doesn't the plan stack up. is to get rid of you all, basically, isn't it? Well, it I is. think we, we both know, Shelley, don't we, that the carbon they want to get rid of is you and I. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, what they give you in one hand, they take out of the other hand. All of this at the moment, oh, your energy bills are going to be X amount cheaper. But they'll just put something else up. And I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one. We, we need to shop local. And I'm a hypocrite myself. And I was listening to what you said somewhere else. And um, you were saying that meat that comes from other countries that's imported is not even frozen or anything. Oh, no, don't. No, no, don't. Can, can I tell this? Cause yeah, please I, do. I, I, I discussed this on the channel the other day. And I think you must have seen it. So I went to see my local butcher to buy some meat. And I said to him, have you got a leg of lamb? And he said, I can't buy English markets so expensive. And I said... I can't work this out. Why is it so expensive? He said, well, the problem is, he said, New Zealand lamb is obviously, and I realise this, New Zealand lamb is subsidised by the New Zealand government. So because they've got so much of it and they need to ship it to the rest of the world, I assumed in my naivety that lamb coming into the UK would be frozen, frozen in big boatloads and bought into the UK and then, you know, it would be defrosted once you've got it home. No. No, they gas it fresh when it's um, slaughtered. They gas it, then ship it in containers full of gas to the UK, taking months upon months to get here. And once it's here, they then ungas the container. And at that point, the meat starts to deteriorate like normal meat would. Um, but it's three, four months old by that point, Shelley. <laughs> and when you say gas it, what sort of gas... Are you we talking about? I, I'll be honest, Shelley, I don't okay. know what that is. Um, and is that I mean, just they, from New Zealand or is that, do you think that's like all meat that's imported into this country? I think that's all meat that's imported. <laughs> the, the more I've dug into it since, um, you know, I can't emphasize enough. And I watched a, a, a video the other day and I, I double checked back on it. And I, again, I've got two or three butchers I deliver vegetables to and I was catching up with them and I said, look, is this true? Because, you know, I, I kind of, I do talks and I, I kind of need to make sure my facts are pretty straight. And and I was talking about the New Zealand lamb and all the butchers are like, yeah, no, that's true. And the other thing what came out was supermarket pork. You know, when you cook bacon and sausages, it's all bubbling away in the pan and it's all lots of Lovely. water. 20% of the weight of your meat from a supermarket is made up of water. Right. Salt water to, to keep it fresh and keep it so they can keep it in the plastic longer. Um, and, and they spray yeah. the meat red as well, don't they? They use red colouring or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. Oh, there's there's nothing real about meat anymore. Um, but I went to the butchers and you know, and I it wasn't expensive. You know, I bought some some bacon, some sausages, and some pork chops, and you know, some chicken breasts, and it was just over twenty quid. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem a lot of money to me for you know for good quality meat. 
Yeah. All right, and that might have been slightly cheaper in a supermarket, but when you're looking at the fact you're getting 20% water, um, and it's come from the other side of the planet, and it's been shipped around and blah, and gassed and all of that, I, I, I think I'll pay me 20 quid. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I know people say, oh, I can't afford to eat organic, I can't afford to do that, but they go out, you know, and spend a fortune on other shit and stuff like that. It's like, absolutely. Oh, it's, your, it's your priorities, isn't it? And, I mean, it's, um, you know... um. I, I can't tell a lie when when I've had poorer days, like when I was growing up and first like looking after myself, a good old Tesco value sausage. Oh, tasty. Look at it like 5% meat. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to know what the rest were. But, you know, it was doable. It was doable. But, um, you know, fortunately, I've, I think I've got a mind and you, you look into it a bit more. But there are people out there. They, they don't care what they're consuming or what they have. You know, they were having a donut, having a covid jab weren't they so yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> and that's what you said as well it's people don't think you know when you look at that donut you don't look at we need a farmer to make that donut yeah i think you know I, well, that video i did was about the you know four farmers to make one cake um and i'd gone into the bakery that that, that one came about i went into the bakery to um deliver their veg and while I was there, he said, oh, we're, you know, because I grow their root, you know, a lot of the rhubarb which we sell. So, and I went in and I said, oh, he said, Mark, that rhubarb, what you got us, he said, we've made these rhubarb, I think they were called rhubarb turnovers or something. So it was a pastry base with like a custard in the middle, the rhubarb on top and some cream on top with some sugar sprinkles on top. And I said, like, you know, and I made the video saying, you know, how many farmers to make my breakfast? Or it wasn't a very healthy breakfast. I'll give the, I'll give you that. But it was tasty, real tasty. It was real milk, you know, it was real butter, <laughs> real sugar on the top and real rhubarb, you know, and, and the pastry was delicious. Um, and I messaged Joe at the bakery and I said, uh, Joe, I said, I just want to make sure that I'm okay to put this video out. And I checked the facts. And he said, yeah, that's fine. And it went on Twitter on the No Farmers, No Food page. And it got 130,000 views within about two days. Um, and even my mum said to me, you know, we forget how simple food is and who's involved in making that. You know, when you think that was one one item, if you take a, I don't know, let's say a, a fry up for breakfast. And these days, because so many farmers only produce one thing, you know, you've got, you know, to make a cup of tea, you want the sugar, the milk, the tea bag. the You know, so you've got free for your cup of tea or your coffee. You've got. You know, your flour for your bread, your butter you, you, to make your toast. You've got um, the pork. You've got the eggs. You, you know, you've got the mushrooms, the tomatoes. You can end up with 10 farmers just to make one breakfast. And then you want probably the same for dinner. And then probably the same for supper, you know. So you're looking at it and you go, potentially 30 farmers a day just to keep one person in food. And that's scary, you know, and you kind of think to yourself, well, that doesn't stack up at the current rate we're losing farms. So that was when I really started getting involved in the No Farmers, No Food. Um, I don't know if you've spoken to um, Catherine McBain. Uh, she runs the PFFA, yeah, People's, the People's Food and Farming Alliance. So I'm working really closely with Catherine and others now um, as a result of the No Farmers, No Food campaign. It was okay. If it all comes to play and it all goes to shit, and the supermarkets don't get any food, what's in place to 
get the food what is produced to the public end users. So will that be more box schemes? Will that be more farm shops need to appear? Will that be, you know, small local shops that already exist like village shops or small supermarket chains? You know, the small petrol station that sells a little bit of fruit and veg. What will that look like? Um, you know, if big farmers that produce a lot of grain and that grain goes off to a mill that's owned predominantly by one of the producers that produces for the supermarket supply chains, is there any smaller mills out there? You know, nowadays, what could um, take up some of that slack and actually make um, flour or, you know, whatever that looks like? So the answer is yes. There is a lot of stuff out there still what could be utilised that isn't being utilised. And that's one of the things Catherine's working heavily on with the PFFA. Um, we've got a hell of a team on that now. Um, Sandy Adams, you spoke about. Sandy's working on that with us. Um, a lady by the name of Rachel, who is the lady who challenged Colchester Council. Um, she challenges about a lot of the green issues. I don't know if you've met Rachel. No. But anyway, there's, there's a lot of people which are involved in that in the background, which have all got a kind of a, a common... Um, stance towards the BS what's going on um, and we're all looking at this and coming together so we're making a video um, over the course of the next week I've been out and interviewed several farmers for that we are putting that out this Sunday night to the public via the PFFA website and social media Next Wednesday, there is a, um, a public Zoom call for up to, I think it's 500 uh, members of the public to get involved to talk about the options to come away from the supermarkets as, as a consumer. Uh, and then we will start to roll out plans of what that looks like. And I think our timing's bang on because I think by then, a lot of the food, what is being supplied into supermarkets personally... I think we'll start drying up. I think the farmers after today um, in Wales, um, you know, there's farmers already down in um, Dover, um, Kent, that are already going out um, and protesting. There's a big rally this weekend in Preston up near Manchester. Um, so it's starting to spread across the UK now. And I know there's certainly rallies that I've heard about uh, coming on across here in East Anglia, where I am. And that kind of next progressive step is that, well, if we have to force the government's hand to listen, that's probably going to come about by turning off the supply chain to supermarkets. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And I, I don't think anyone would blame you, really. I mean... Is all very well, isn't it? Saying, yeah, that's because I, I personally think that's what you need to do. I do. It, it would, it would turn the world upside down. And you know, if people, the thing is, I think you don't want to panic people like with the whole COVID thing. You know, the toilet roll buying, it was just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but there was, there was certain things as well, wasn't there? I mean, like, I can remember, like, I couldn't get biscuits and things like that. And you know, there was a bit of a shortage around at the time. But yeah. this is, and I was um, saving food and shouldn't tell anybody that because, uh, you know, we talked about these things in like COVID times, like, you know, what happens if the worst case scenario, could people be banging on your door with a shotgun knowing that you've got food in the house? I know it I think, sounds... I think that's likely really, the case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sounds yeah. totally dystopian, but um, we just don't know what's around the corner. 
but I'm all for you guys. I think, you know, enough's enough. And I think the only way you're going to get around it is say, like, right, to hell with you. And I yeah, think, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, Shelley, you know, the, the, in the UK at any point, I think the UK army holds about 300 tanks. Um, and there's probably 50 of those what are based in the UK because obviously a lot of them are based across in Poland and so forth at the minute in case they're needed in Ukraine. So there's 50 tanks. If the government wants to turn them on the farmers, you know, they're probably going to be, I don't know, but 65,000 tractors across the UK <laughs> um, that are all big enough to tip a tank over. So I kind of think the government needs to tread carefully and, and probably listen to what's been said to them because at the end of the day, the policies are wrong. We know that. And that's not going to change from our side. That stance isn't going to change. The policies are wrong. What it needs is a government to change their stance. Farmers are very, very scared at the minute, Shelley. Um, and scared people do, you know, potentially dangerous things. And that's what worries me at the minute with all of this is the like it has in Europe, it's very soon escalated. You know, they were out on peaceful protests. You know, now you're seeing slurry tankers backing up over the riot police and just covering them in all sorts of shit. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> um, and it is it is funny. You think to yourself, you know, but the, God, that guy must smell nice when he goes home. But um, I don't know what they're trying to achieve stood there with their helmets on and their batons in their hand. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I mean, if you've got someone coming down with a 40-ton tractor and trailer bellowing down with, you know, silage on it, um, I'd say get out of the way because, <laughs> you know, they just go straight over the top of everything you can put in the way. These tractors now are so, so big um, that, you know, you can see the escalation um, across Europe's happens, you know, within, what we're talking, six, eight weeks. It's gone from peaceful protest to more or less almost all-out riot. Uh, you know, the farmers have been burning tyres on the streets. They've been, I mean, the, the one which I, I, I smiled about most was the French farmers who levelled all the topsoil down the motorway and then drilled it and said, we're not going home until we cut it. <laughs> uh, so, so to me, it that is, was just yeah. fantastic. We're not, we're not seeing anything really on the MSN, are we? And I mean, like I say, if we go, I mean, to be honest, well, I've seen bits on Twitter, but TikTok seems to be, the place i've never seen so many farming videos it's probably because it knows my algorithms at the absolutely moment anyway. but um no it's it's amazing but i mean also farm farmers have been offered haven't they hundred thousand pounds to sell their farm am i Shall right in saying that to lead their land there's there's loads of schemes in place and if farmers are coming up for retirement age they're making it now the government will buy the farm at such a high value, the farmers don't want to hand the the hand down to the children the liability of the farm because they've got a farm that's losing money. And then suddenly someone's coming along saying your farm's worth £5 million. Um, if you take it, then we'll pay you today. And the farmer's looking at it going, well, I can look after my family forever um, if I get out. And, you know, and that's just ridiculous you know you've got people i spoke to uh, the guy i um, interviewed in derbyshire um on um saturday he's the third generation to be on the on the land he's 92 years they've had a tenancy on a piece of land owned by lord so-and-so 
I won't say who, but Lord Santo. And the Lord has been granted the opportunity to put solar panels on the land. So as a direct result of that, he is in the position of being paid £250 an acre um, to chuck him off the land. The family's been there 92 years. The same bloodline of cattle for 92 years. It just going to get what would, what would happen then? They would sell that cattle on, slaughter them. They'll all go to slaughter. He can't right. find that. He can't find anywhere else to farm. He's been trying. Can't find anywhere else to farm because all the other farmers are in the same position. There's loads. I mean, the guy said to me, he said, when I was a kid, I mean, he's, I suppose he's in his mid 60s now. He said, when I was a kid, he said there was 15 dairies within the neighbouring villages. He said, we are now the only one. Wow. That's just like, where do we get off on thinking it's acceptable to have complete reliability on the system? And, you know, if you take Tesco's, Tesco's, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, any, they're all as bad as each other. And none of them care if the British yeah. farmer exists or not. But the, the problem, what I see, Shelley, is the supermarkets have always had somewhere else to go and get the food. But the WEF screwed themselves over because what they've done is they've put the same legislation in worldwide. So all of the countries worldwide are producing less food. So the only thing we can end up with is starvation. The only thing we can end up with is eating bugs, um, you know, or, or lettuces grown in water. Well, you know, well, I don't fancy that. There's no goodness in it. There's no minerals, you know. It's proven that the protein you get from, um, from bugs contains all sorts of nasties that you can't remove. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not really up for that, to be honest. I, I, I want me eggs, you know, I want me, me meat. You know, I, your meat I, and your veg and yeah. I understand. You know, I understand <laughs> vegans don't want meat. Well, that's lovely, but here's the fact: you're going to want to eat vegetables. You know, so <laughs> there ain't going to be any. <laughs> no, no. And I mean, it's made me look at it a whole new point of view. And I swore the other night that I would never moan being stuck behind a tractor again. <laughs> and this morning, typically, I was running late for work and I was stuck behind a tractor. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, freaking typical. And then, like, um, he had, like, a big bale of haylage on the back. And I was like, it never even entered my head that it's not just about us getting food. It's about yes. the animals as well. A absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you think... It goes so far. You know, if you take someone like my uncle, he's, you know, he'll be ploughing till 3 o'clock in the morning. The, and I was saying the other morning at, like, 3.30 when I left the farm, he was then coming home. He was back out again at 6 o'clock, you know, to get some, some drilling done. So farmers have a real harsh life, I've got to say. You know, I know from my side, um, between my fruit and veg wholesale side and my growing side, we're now coming into growing season. That's, you know, we're, we're now starting to kind of gear up for getting things planted. Um, and I'm obviously, because of everything what's going on in the background, I'm more conscious this year about growing a lot more stuff than we did last year. And last year we grew a lot more than the year before because I was concerned then and... You know, and, and I was concerned the year before, right back to 2020. And I'm kind of now looking at things going, we're really going to have to up our game. I mean, I'm 
a coordinator of the Land Workers Alliance as well, Shelley, and I represent across East Anglia 250 small growers. And I think that what's going to happen is we're going to see a lot more coming from the small growers, the people who are not reliant on big equipment, big diesel bills. Um, we are, They're not reliant on the uh, fertilisers that the big farms are, which they can't get hold of. They're already using natural fertilisers. So I think we're going to see a lot more from the uh, smaller growers, the kind of um, CSA side of things where, you know, where the people are running box schemes. I think you're going to see a lot more of the home delivery side on that. I think you're going to see a lot, lot more on community-based projects. And I think you're going to see a hell of a lot more um, coming out of potentially big farmers that see the challenges that do not have the capability or knowledge anymore to be able to grow lots of different things on a farm. And I think you'll see a lot more community farms popping up with inside other farms. So this will be where farmers say, well, look, I've got a five acre field there. You know, the village wants to get together and grow food. They can. Um, and I also think you'll see a pop up of a lot of farm shops over the next um, 12 months. And I think those farm shops won't be run by farmers they'll be run by the community on the farms. So the farmer will say, well, I've got a barn. You know, we could quite capably do this. I think um, one of the places we deliver to is a, is a small village shop, and it's fantastic. So it's completely run by volunteers. It's funded by, they sell shares to the people in the village, and the money which is raised is spent on the stock and paying the bills, and then it can quite happily tread along in the background Um trading and you know there's no pressure on the shop to take and, and earn money because it's run by volunteers and you know it's funded by the share options and the people know if they buy 100 pounds of shares they're never going to get the 100 pound out of the shares but they don't care they want to support the community um yeah absolutely and I, one thing i have seen as well is um that a lot of these community shops the profits they make don't go back into the shareholders they actually go back into the community so if, for instance, the the village needs a new play area and the village shops earned £500 this month, they'll help towards the play area. So I think you're going to see a lot more community um, spirit again with that because, you know, we've lost a lot of that, Shelley. You know, oh, when, yeah, I was a kid, yeah. when I was a kid, in the village I live in, well, they used to do an It's a Knockout every year and all of the neighbouring villages sent a team to fight against each other in, in all the challenges. Brilliant. <laughs> and that was fantastic. And everybody went, literally thousands of people came. You couldn't do that now, though, could you? Because there'd be health and safety. You think, oh. Let's just have a, a fun day at the local park. Oh, no, have you got insurance? <laughs> you know, like the carnivals. It used to be the carnivals in my day. You oh. know, and I think, be wonderful for our town. Oh, no, health and safety. Yeah. Oh, Can you imagine sitting on the back of a lorry? Wow. <laughs> I did, yeah. And that Me too. But yeah, my dad had a, um, a coal lorry and I can remember probably being about four or five and everybody was dressed up as St Trinians and uh, we were all squirting with these bottles of fairy liquid squirting water on people and stuff. And yeah, just real lovely days. But now the world's gone mad with health and safety and um, yeah. And I woke. think everybody should just have, yeah, very woke. I think everybody should just have their own personal insurance and then we wouldn't need sort of insurance. One, one insurance for one person for everything. Then yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Yes, yeah, sort ourselves out. But can you imagine? Can you imagine all these stupid people? How much the policies would be? <laughs> <laughs> I 
that's very true yeah but the problem is yeah they don't realize they're stupid do they <laughs> anyway we're gonna i know any minute now that the end music is going to come on so mark thank you so much it's been a real privilege tonight to chat to you and Shelley, th more. thank you and good luck and i hope at some point um in a few weeks time you'll come back and we'll have an update and um let's absolutely message out there yeah i, really I think you're going to see a lot happen in the next two weeks oh it's exciting it's exciting i'm going to start buying the food Sharpen your pitchfork. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I did this before, though, I had a huge plastic tub in my loft full of food and the mice, it attracted the mice and they got through to everything. But, oh, lovely. So I don't recommend that anybody. But um, Shelley, can I, can I just ask one thing? I've, yeah. um, I've put a new, um, a friend of mine put a new YouTube channel up for me right. called, called The Bowler Hat Farmer. And right. I'd really like people to go there and support that. Yeah. I will add the link in the comments when um, I've finished. And um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Thank please you. follow everybody and um, support your local farmers. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks, Shelley. Have and a great evening, luck. my lovely. Keep up the fight. Yeah, take care. Absolutely. Thank See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, um, sh there, Mark's gone. Um, that was really lovely. Um, certainly a big eye-opener. And I myself, I will be making the effort not to shop at the local supermarkets and i definitely want to try out this um raw milk definitely so um i don't know if we're still running live i don't think we are right anyway guys i will be back same time next week with mark windows from windows on the world is it i think anyway have an awesome week and um we're still on speak free radio next with the kono connection with myself and malefica scott have a great night guys take care